0: Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, we're your hosts, Stephen Craig and Parker Dillon, and this is episode number 44. Oh yeah. So uh, we have to apologize about the uh, the audio quality last week. We, yeah, sorry about that, guys. We kind of had some interesting popping going on in the background. Yeah, nothing we could do. So, uh, so we actually were recording at Macrofab, if you heard the episode, we talked about it a bit. Um, but, but we, we recorded on some of the equipment that we have there and it has some interesting issues that we found.
1: Yeah. We actually stuck a oscilloscope on its USB line, the power line, and it's got some interesting ripple and, uh, transients
0: going on. So yeah, yeah. The, the, the recording interface we have is a little USB banger, just a cheapo little thing that you throw some mics in and get some audio into whatever your, your interface is. So, um. So it's all powered over USB, so everything that comes through there has to come out of your computer. Yep. Um, And we noticed this popping issue, and it's got to come from somewhere in that box. And it's got to be a a digital issue, because it it happened fairly regularly, and it happened very timely, and that's just... All of these things are kind of the mark of digital world. Yep. So, So Parker cranked open the case today and started... Yeah, probing around. So what'd you find? So it's got a. Um,
1: it basically the power goes through a giant inductor. It basically has a uh, a, a pi filter on the front end yeah. of it, and then it goes into a regulator and all that good stuff. But basically, I hooked it onto the lead of the um, the inductor, and on the PC side of the inductor, it's got some crazy like just sharp peaks on it. Yeah, and. So I had it hooked up to our recording software, and I noticed that our the with no mics plugged in, it was picking stuff up, yeah, and the input levels were dancing, yeah, dancing all over the place. and it was even crazier is when you touch the USB cable, it went crazy, so I, so some the human body is somehow coupling with the USB cable, which then gets into the front end of the mic input, right, right, which is really
0: weird and this was USB type B. Or is type it, B, well yeah, 2.0. B. Well yeah, right, right, right. But but what I'm what I'm what I'm thinking here. So the configuration we had was a little funky because we had a computer and and our microphones on little carts that yep. were in the engineering department. It just worked out. So um, we noticed that that today when we were j- uh, checking it out, if you just tap the cable, I mean we were getting half scale jolts yep. in the audio wave. I mean which would just show up as a giant pop. Yep. And, and it would it would bounce a bit
1: and right. then go quiet again. So I bet you whenever someone accidentally bumped that cable, it would pop for a couple seconds and then go flat again. Well,
0: and here's the thing. I So last week when we were recording, I was behind the computer. I'm almost wondering maybe I just accidentally just tapped the cart and the cable just slightly bumped on the cart. And that was enough to give just some pops. Maybe. I think...
1: I'm actually I'm I'm more of thinking that it's the human coupling with that grounding shield. Sure. That's what I'm that's what I'm going to guess.
0: So I don't know. It's it's really weird. And of course, like we have an issue like this and the first thing we do is we rip open the case and yeah, we and try actually, to like put on a scope. And this is the thing is I took a USB cable,
1: snipped the power line and then fed in, you know, clean power from my linear power supply that we have on yep. our desk yep. and the issue almost went away. Was still there a bit hmm. and so i'm thinking that's what why i think is a shielding issue is that that way because I, I i have no idea how the power ripple if there was a power ripple would get to the front end of that that microphone it has to be shielding
0: well there's no power being sent to the
1: microphone i i exactly it or the uh recording interface in there right um because that pi filter it on the uh, recording side rec- on the other side of that pipe filter, it was pretty quiet. Yeah, and so I'm like, nothing's really getting in through that that guy. So I'm thinking something has to couple through the shielding to get around everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe buying a really badass USB cable will fix it.
0: <laughs> we'll have to give that a shot. Yeah, or
1: just snip the shielding so it decouples the shielding, and just run unshielded USB. That's cheaper and easier. Yeah,
0: we should give that a shot. Maybe so that's that's our idea on what happened yeah so um so this week well okay so last we, week you were talking about brewing Yeah, well last week I was talking about brewing I think it was the week before I can't remember whatever I have I have a batch of of beer that uh, that is uh, done fermenting in my fridge uh, that was brewed on my uh, my brew rig that I finally made safe, safe. Yep. somewhat safe um, so that's that's going well uh I you know what I I'm gonna I'm gonna crack the keg open tonight, and and give a shot. I'm gonna need to take a picture. I wish I can come over. <laughs> Maybe I'll bring it to the next podcast. Yeah, there we go. Um, so that's that's great. I think I've, I've 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 finally got my rig to the point where it works and it's not gonna kill me. Uh, and <laughs> that's always a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a, a real good thing. So I'm looking forward. Just some fun little things I've. Um, been playing with so I've got a motorized ball valve okay. uh, and this ball valve runs on 12 volts and it's a half inch NPT on both sides. Is so it a uh,
1: all on or is it like
0: analog where you can sweep it? Well that's the thing it's sort of is the answer. You
1: just PWM it really fast?
0: <laughs> Unfortunately no because the thing is slow. It's really oh, slow okay. it takes like three to three and a half seconds to open up but here's the thing that's cool about it. It's giving more power yeah <laughs> no it, oh so actually, okay, so that's an interesting thing so the this ball valve is is pretty stiff to open, it has a lot of torque to do it, so there's a whole transmission up in the top, yeah. so it's got a little a little tiny motor that's geared down like crazy. one to five hundred <laughs> probably honestly with when you hear the thing running, you can hear that that motor going, screaming, whee! and then you just see the ball slightly turn inside the ball valve. <laughs> So, okay, so it runs on on 12 volts. What's cool is when it's at closed or open, it automatically shuts off its current draw. So if you provide it 12 volts to open, the 12 volts, it'll pull current until it opens and then just stop even if you still have 12 volts on it. So it's got a a, uh, limit switch built in. Right, right. So here's what I'm wanting to do with it. I actually want to be able to control volume. Uh, or flow rate, really. Rate, yeah. I want to be able to control flow rate. So I think over the Christmas season, um, I'm going to spend some time doing some flow rate calcs um, and really kind of just test it with some of my uh, my pots. I want to be able to open it up to a particular flow rate, but since it's just timing-based, I'm going to characterize the, the valve with an Arduino, just basically open it for a certain amount of milliseconds until it's, I don't know, 10, 15, 20, whatever yep. percent, then characterize that flow and do it you know, five or six times throughout there. So maybe I can make a, a graph of what it is and then just write a script that will kind of spit it out to you. And them. then PID to dial it in afterwards. Right, but it's all going to be timing. Yeah, it's, it, it has to be timing because there's no feedback. You can't tell where it is. So I, I, don't, I don't know well, exactly don't how I'm going to pull meter? it out. I do have a flow meter. So I bought a flow meter from Atlas Scientific. And if you haven't been there, go check out their website. they got a ton of cool stuff. Um, The flow meter is – flow is so hard to read. Yep. uh, Because you just have to have so many things right. Everything has to be right. And in all the experiments I've played with this, uh, I just can't get anything that even seems reasonable yet. Um, Because you have to have laminar flow. You have to have high enough flow for it to read. Overcome right. the friction of the, the turbine. Right. And um, you can't just put a straight pipe to the to the flow meter. It has to have certain bends in it in order for the flow to flow properly through yeah. the valve or through the meter and stuff. So I want to use this meter. I mean, it was not cheap. I think it was 100 bucks all in with the electronics that go with it. Um and I want to play with it, but I, I was thinking, I've got this flow meter, but does it, do I really need to measure flow if I can characterize a valve and know what the flow is? Yep. That might just be an easier solution. Um, so I'm going to play with that and see what's going on. Yeah, it should work. Yeah, yeah, should be pretty cool. And Then uh have
1: been working more on that Jeep radio. Yeah. And so we I, last week we thought it was the uh, the chip that we've been talking about was the uh, TDA7429L. And so I started doing more digging and trying to figure out why my hacks that I thought would work on paper were not working. Turns out it was not the right chip.
0: Right, because if you were using the block diagram of the old chip, it looked like the inputs were actually coming into the equalizer? Yeah, the equalizer part. And it didn't make any
1: sense. No. And so I basically... We actually, like, ripped the chip off and so we can see all all the traces. Yeah. And I you know, drew up a little tiny thing and, you know, traced everything. And I'm like, the power and grounds weren't even right on this chip. Right. So right. I'm like, okay, throw that part out. So now I'm like, okay, how do I find the the actual part now again? Right. So I started searching, searching, searching. Couldn't find anything because everything kept coming back to the 7429L, which is what
0: we found at first. Which, And at first it, it was very plausible to be that chip.
1: Yeah, because that was the only Dip 42 audio chip I could find by ST in that time period. Or was it? Or was it? So I found even more digging, and I started changing my search terms a bit, and I, I basically started searching for just ST audio chips. Yeah. Okay? And I found a catalog entry, a, a scan from a catalog of uh, consumer audio and radio ICs by ST in the mid-90s. a <laughs> Win winner. Yeah,
0: how perfect is
1: that? And then it also had the packages that these chips were. So it had a the part number, description, package. dip forty two was 42, on there, wasn't it? Bam, the first thing that popped up on the list was the TDA7340S, which was an exact match to the pinout. Down right.
0: down to it. And 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 even I remember um, you sent me the data sheet for it. I looked at the at the um, the block diagram. And um, wasn't there stuff on it about like tape and yes and uh, radio and so yeah, yeah no it, it makes it makes a lot more sense for that to be the chip although the guts are fairly similar to the original Very chip similar. that you found and the big key
1: was on the other chip I started tracing the because I was I was going to sniff the I square C lines yeah and I put the probe on the ice what I thought were the I square C lines and they were not. There's just, there's nothing there. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you found it. And so I'm like, okay, that's not it. And then when I found this new chip, put the probe on it, bam, there was i square I'm like, awesome. Great. Um, So what's, yeah, what's the plan going forward? So the plan going forward is the interesting thing about this chip is it's got all the inputs that goes through an audio mux mm-hmm. that's inside, and then they, and then the left and right channels that come out of the mux exit the chip into an effects loop. And then come back into the chip. Right. So that FX loop is basically usually just some capacitors. And it's, I um I think the def- if you're not actually mixing the audio, you basically put a DC blocker on it.
0: Right, you, you right, right. A coupling cap.
1: And so that's what we am gonna do. I'm just gonna snip those leads, pipe it right into there, and then
0: we're good to go. So so yeah, it's actually kind of cool. Uh, it was a lot of forethought, actually, I think, on the designer side of whoever made this chip. Um, the What's what's cool is, yeah, you have all the inputs come in, they mix them together, and then after they're mixed together, you have access to that signal to do anything you want to with yes. it. If you want to do some further processing or equalization or, or whatever, they just dump it out. If you don't want it, just tie two pins together with a cap, Yep, uh, which is absolutely perfect for your... Application. Exactly. You want another signal? You got it. You got it.
1: And so, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to have the signals come out. I'm going to use some analog um, switches and then put it back in. And so, basically, what I'll do is, I'll flip a switch on my dash, which will turn on the Bluetooth, switch over that switch over so the Bluetooth comes, uh, the Bluetooth audio basically pipes right into it, and we're done. So, the only last thing to do out of that list is to actually read. The signal that comes out of that chip Kay. at that that and that the beginning of that effects loop yeah because i have to match that with the bluetooth oh, the, the, the level the level yeah yeah yeah. because the bluetooth outputs zero dc offset and it's like one volt max uh rms wave which is you know normal for like headphones which is what it's designed for
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So the the good thing is, if I remember right, looking at that the block diagram, um, there's probably not a lot of gain, if any, in the I, mixer. No, I think the mixer is just one to one. It just it's adds. It's one to one. That's it. Um, so you, so you're lucky. You don't. Uh, you if it's one to one, then all you need to do is match what the input to the whole chip is in terms Correct. of tape or AM or FM. Correct. And so I need to put a
1: probe on it and and see what that is because the interesting thing is the uh, VCC input to this chip is about nine point four volts, which is interesting because usually for a single supply audio stuff it's about nine volts. Mm. And so I bet you since this is a single supply chip that waveform is 4.5 volt DC offset
0: yeah that would that would make sense it would make a lot of sense I'm going to guess
1: I'm hoping it's not but I don't see it not being that because there's no way for us to have a
0: inverse waveform at zero volts so yeah you would you would have to play some games with getting your yeah your four and a half in there if it was yeah and it's probably either going
1: to be um you know using the resistor divider to boost it up or just use an op
0: amp yeah the op amp op might be good um you need to check what the uh, input impedance of that pin is um i think the input impedance is very
1: high okay on that pin the output impedance of the effects loop coming out is like 60 ohms or 80 ohms oh it's very low yes yeah, yeah yeah so then you're good but um because also we're probably going to have to um adjust the levels of the of the uh output of the of the uh bluetooth sure it's going to be it's probably going to be massive because that's like max volume because you don't want to i don't want to put in like you like on your phone you'd have to like put in the right level by clicking you know the
0: volume slider in oh, just the right yeah. spot you want I to be max volume the... and it works yeah 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 well i mean shoot uh, I mean go all out and put in a like a one kilohertz sine wave, uh see what the what it spits out and make sure that you match that with your Bluetooth. Yep. And then you're you're good to go. Yep. Cool. Yeah. And then um Yeah, actually I think that's that's about it for that guy. That's that's an interesting one. Like there's there's a significant amount of work yes. on this old nineties Uh, piece of junk radio piece of junk yeah I mean so much searching and and headache (laughs) when you could go out and buy a hundred dollar one but the principle is you're doing it yourself exactly and it'll look stock right 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 no one will know no one will be the wiser
1: except hey there's a red jeep that has MacroFab on it in Houston Texas it's got a bluetooth enabled radio that I can jack (laughs) (laughs) that's cool ah and before the RFO yeah. Um I have a shout out to uh Pat Hensley uh, Hensley out of uh, from Tektronix. Yeah. He actually came down from I think he's out of Austin. Mm-hmm. He came down to just hang out at the shop uh Wednesday morning and uh basically you know he's a big fan of the podcast, came by and just hang out. Yeah, thanks for coming by, Pat. Yeah, and uh, the cool thing is he brought some goodies. Um he brought a, uh, a Tektronix USB like spectrum analyzer. Oh man, this thing was cool. Yeah, this was really cool. Um, I'm, this is not an advertisement for it, by the way, but it's the uh, the, it was a Tech RSA three hundred six like B or whatever it was. Sure. Um, but this was the first time I ever saw a spectrum analyzer that was USB that was also real time. Yeah, so there it was, was no waiting. Yeah, and we actually had it set up to look at the two point four gigahertz spectrum. Yeah, and the cool thing about it was you could see instead of just seeing the peaks. But which you would normally see on a spectrum analyzer, like what the max at that frequency was. Yeah, we actually could see individual devices. Somehow it was able to filter out, like, like you. So you could see like the the Wi-Fi beacon, but then you can also see the signal from my computer mm. that was lower
0: power than the beacon. And the, and actually, both the beacon and your computer are about the same distance away. Yes, and yeah. so somehow it's able to figure that out. Yeah, I don't know how. Pretty cool stuff. Super cool waterfall plots. Yes, uh, and and the I mean, obviously our our Wi-Fi beacon in the engineering room up in the ceiling was just swamping everything. Oh yeah, that was it the was max huge. signal. And yeah, but I mean, for this thing to to, to read all the bands around two point four and display it in real time, that is awesome. Well, and he also had it where he turned on the Bluetooth. Uh, he turned
1: on the Bluetooth in his uh, in a cell phone, and right when he turned it on. Shot up, you could see it ping into that spectrum,
0: yeah, but well, i mean there was there was bands all over the place, all all the place yeah, it was noisy, it yeah. was pretty noisy, no, but super cool, and i think um it was something what uh, around three grand I think it's three and a half k I mean to have that much power yeah at three and a half k uh it was and and the thing was well. I guess I'm, we're trying to not make an advertisement. <laughs> no, no, I'm, just, to... I'm gushing over um, it because it was super cool.
1: The interesting thing I really liked was the fact that the interface, because it's, um, it's on the computer, it's got a Python API. That's super cool. So you cool. can write in your own code. And I was really interested in using this device for doing, like, pre-compliance. Yep. And then basically run a script and be like, bam, one button press, and then come back after lunch and, damn, all your plot's all done. That's
0: that's really. I'd cool. hope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of coding to make that work, but yeah. Well, like okay, so you've done you've done CE testing. Oh uh, god. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have too. So I've been in the same boat. In fact, we've probably both been in the same test chamber. Pti up in Austin, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep we've yep. been in the same one then. Uh, so so the yeah, it was super cool, but at the same time, like you're pulling your hair out all day long with a, a CE testing. The worst. Okay,
1: the worst thing about doing that testing is so you're watching the when you're doing the emissions testing at least mm. is you're watching the graph on the screen right come in yeah and you fail right and you're like well can we just stop and get and he's like no no we got watch let finish yeah. out no you
0: <laughs> you started at eighty megahertz yeah and you know the end is at one gigahertz yeah and you're you're taking steps of like ten megahertz at a time no it's even less than that. that's like I think it's actually like like. A meg at a time. Right, right. So, okay, yeah, you filled at eighty-eight. Yeah. You're like, can we just stop? We don't need to go all the way out to a gig. Yeah, you know. He's like, no. no. He's
1: like, the quasi peak will make it lower. It's like it never makes it lower. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nope, nope, nope. But but uh so after after you're done with all this CE testing, assuming that you pass, or actually, even if you don't pass, I think they give you like the whole test data, all the yep. all the data. But they give it to you in like this nice fancy template document. So basically, they just have a repository where they just dump a whole bunch of data and in interi- spits out a Word document. Yeah, it would be cool to write a Python script with one of these kind of things that does that. Does that automatically? That would be cool. That'd be cool. That would be super cool. I mean, we couldn't actually do compliance testing, but we could do pre-compliance. We could do pre-compliance. I mean, we could we could get you the data that you will get later on. Yeah, I think what Pat, how Pat said it is.
1: This uh, like uh, ha- doing pre-compliance makes sure that you don't automatically fail.
0: I th- yeah, I think it was uh, um, it won't tell you that you pass, but it'll tell you that you won't
1: pass. Exactly, that's it's, how it was. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Which
0: which is exactly true. Yeah. it is very easy to not pass. And the thing is, like this thing is like
1: three and a half k, right? Mm-hmm. Doing CE and FCC testing is like six k for a day,
0: right? Right. For
1: just standard stuff, right. And so if you fail once, you should have bought this device or a device
0: similar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and whenever whenever I did CE testing, because it was six to ten thousand dollars a day to yep. do this, I would pack my truck. My truck would be to the top with test gear yep. and all kinds of probes and all and yeah. like I brought an entire rack full of resistors such that Oh, and an and entire inductor. ferrite beads. beads and inductors. <laughs> and, and it was Your just like, soldering you iron. fail, solder something on. Fail, solder something on. Keep doing it till you pass. And, I mean, I'd show up at 8, and you always mean, 6 in the morning and leave and, at, like, 10 at night. And you always bring extra, Um, what do what they
1: call it, UETs? UET? What, what's the actual device called? DUT? Unit under. <laughs> device think, under test, DUT? Devi- yeah, DUT, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, you bring multiples. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of times is a, um, like, let's say they do, like, transient testing. Yeah. Because th- this is the thing about these tests is not a-, a single device doesn't have to pass all of them. It just has to pass one of them. So as long as you replace that device with something else that's exactly the same. So it's like a transient test, right? Right. We actually ran into this issue uh, just, like, five years ago now or something like that is we couldn't figure out why the it wouldn't pass the transient test again. Because, mm-hmm. like, it was... it was um, The device was running, and on it was a battery-operated device, but we were running transient tests over, like, an IO line or something. Yeah. And it w- was working fine, and then the battery died during the test. And so we had to start over, oh. and it wouldn't get past the first event. Oh, that sucks. And so we couldn't figure out why at all. So apparently what happened is when it, it, the battery ran out... Um, something happened with with the the protection on there, and it, it basically degraded the protection in in the device. Hmm. And so we just swapped out the DUT and done. Yeah, yeah. Interesting stuff. Tr- trying to pass FCC CE testing is like black arts.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, so so our device had to run on twenty four volts. Um, so inside the chamber, we had a cart that was made of plastic and we had to mount our device on top of the cart, and then we had to run power lines underneath the cart and into the basement, basically. Yeah, it goes into the basement there. Yep. Big okay. turntable. So, so, I I was writing up my... Um, in, in anticipation of writing my report, because, you know, you spend $10,000, management's going to want a Unresolved report from Why you, you so. spent $10,000? Yeah, <laughs> yeah or, or where it went to. So, I took an enormous amount of pictures, and I wish I still had them, but... Uh, so I brought a whole kit of clip-on ferrite beads. Yep. And on my power leads that went down to my power supply, I probably had 15 <laughs> ferrite beads clipped on there because I was like, nothing is going to come out of that room yep. into my power
1: supply. Because yeah, that's what we're doing. We had um, uh, one of our tests was it had to be emission testing when it was running off USB. So we had to do it off DC power. Oh, okay, yeah. Battery power. And USB power, all of them had to have their own emission testing. Oh, that's brutal. Um, and so on the USB test, I'm like, I was like, I don't have a USB power thing. So I had my laptop underneath, like, and with a with a USB cable going through the turntable at, at PTI, right. down through, like, the one-inch hole, yeah, and then it <laughs> went down, thing. and then I had my laptop kind of, like, position kind of sideways shoved up into a corner yeah and then a and then the ac line and then i had the um they had this like ginormous ferrite bead that you can just like wrap cables around
0: yeah yeah, yeah. and
1: to I, I think i wrapped it as many times as i could i think i wrapped it like 12 times to make sure that no noise out of my laptop could go into that
0: chamber how terrible would it be if your product was fine but your laptop was just contaminating all of your measurements interesting
1: is uh, we had that we had that issue once. Really? And we had a FCC CE certified power supply that was not passing. Ooh. Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. That's some and Chineseium it was made by Meanwell, right there. Or at least branded Meanwell. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody bought the stamp and just slapped it on. Yep. There. That sticker. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then uh, same thing with batteries, uh, lithium battery packs. We had that issue with. Huh. Um, we had a, the battery pack we were using was not passing. It had like a 28, what was that frequency? Um, 280 kilohertz, something like that peak. And I basically looked up the data sheet for the protection circuit for the lithium battery. And that was what the frequency of the chip ran out. (laughs) (laughs) like its sampling rate of the voltage was like that frequency.
0: <laughs> yeah. You see okay so here's what's what's funny. So we had a um I, I used to design um vibration sensors uh for for uh, gas turbines and and things of that sort. Well we had an issue because our devices were 4 to 20 milliamp uh um Current sensing, current yep. sensing, yep. yeah, because because you That's use 420 inter- industry, industry yeah. standard, it's a little bit lower noise if you use current sort of voltage. Yep. Um, but what our issue was was you know a general manager or contractor in 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 uh, whatever plant they were in, he'd key up his radio. And a million dollar machine would shut off <laughs> uh, because because the machine thought it saw a bunch of vibration and it would it would trip a, uh, an alarm which is that's no good yeah you know, no good turning on a, a couple million dollar steam turbine is 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 rough so we had some issues with that and um, so we actually took radios with us we we're blasting them all over the place trying to uh, trying to get it get it going and we found. All kinds of weird spikes. Um, And and actually, a lot of the stuff was due to how our board was laid out. Yep. Um, And our ground planes, actually. Ground loops are the bane of your existence. Oh, gosh. digital and analog world. It was was terrible. And in fact, what was interesting was our grounds in our previous model um, were every ground was traced out individually. Uh, and that was a legacy design. Uh, we took it and we made them ground planes on top and bottom, and that cleared up a whole lot of junk and got rid of our radio issues, which was which was super interesting. Cool. CE testing sucks. Yeah, I well, wanted FCC to
1: MCC all. I put it this way: I wanted to do. I'll put it this way: If I had pre-compliance stuff, though, I would probably test every single thing I designed just to see how good it is. It, well, I mean, yeah, just even if it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It's like, oh, this widget
0: I'm going to make one of. It'd be cool to see how well did I lay out that board. Actually, so that's a really good a really good way to, you know, if you test everything you design and you find out and you just learn the habits of doing things right, then when it comes down to doing the real thing, it's way easier. Oh, yeah. Or you, you at least have a chance for success. Yeah, just a chance. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, RFO. Yeah. Uh, we have 30 minutes now, so we got to go pretty quick. All right, Zippy. Um, the first one is attacking air gap computers using cooling fans that are inside.
0: Yeah, I it's, heard about that.
1: Yeah, it was earlier this week, I think, or last Saturday, maybe. Whatever, it doesn't really matter when the article came out. There's a research group. Um, they've been trying to figure out how to attack computers, quote, unquote, wirelessly without having attacking Wi-Fi, basically doing um, reading environmental stuff from so the computer. So they're doing
0: acoustic attacks. So this is –
1: well, it's not an acoustic attack because a lot of their methods still involve getting uh, a, a, a malware or something like that onto the computer. And so basically what it does is it's a, uh, it records keystrokes on the keyboard, and then at a certain interval, it will – Pulse audio, like the fans, the PWM, the fans. Right. And so that you could record the bits. Right. Out of it. Um, kind of interesting. They have a couple different other vector attacks that are similar. Um, and a lot of people were, like, freaking out about this. But I'm like, it's if it's an air-gapped computer, the chances of getting mal- this malware on it is, like, zero. Unless someone plugs in a unauthorized USB plug or some social engineering to get the malware on the computer. Yeah. Because I think it was like 10 years ago, or oh, maybe that's too long, but there's a tax to just record data stream over, a US, uh, over cables going to your computer. Yeah. Like your keyboard. Yeah. Like when you punch on the keyboard, it sends out you know a data stream to mm. your computer, and people can just read that. And that requires no you know no, no attack vector on your computer right no direct connection actually yeah no at all yeah. and that's an air gap attack
0: right so but yeah. the energy is so low that you have got to be in close proximity
1: yeah you can not yeah you have you to know, be close you know that actually kind of
0: reminds me of but, um uh, there, there there was a uh, uh dave jones did a um an episode on on um breaking into a safe uh oh yeah i remember that yeah and he was trying to measure the current into the, the whole thing by pressing buttons and reading what was like a good press versus a bad, bad press kind of yep. thing. Same kind of – st- well, in that case, you do actually have to have a connection. Yeah. But the same kind of backwards, backdoor yeah. connection. And that
1: was the interesting thing, uh, in that video is he found out that whoever wrote – because he was able to read the polling – uh, like whatever the microcontroller was using to read the key the key, the key presses. Yeah, hit that person's whoever wrote the code for it did a really good job because he couldn't tell the difference right. in current draw between a good press and a bad press.
0: So so somebody was counting pulses on that counting on
1: that clock cycles. Right. right. Yeah. 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 Clocks. Yeah. Um, so they thought of that. Yeah. They thought. Yeah.
0: That was still really cheap. Safe. Or the code was written really poorly, and it just eats up the same amount that of time. Both yeah.
1: yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, because there's also an attack a uh, long, long time ago, um, which is like a couple of years, <laughs> um, where like a VGA cable, people can pick up the EMF coming off the a VGA cable and actually
0: recreate your wirelessly screen?
1: your screen.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can, if you can decipher what's going on there and read the bits. Yep. It sounds like it sounds horrible. <laughs> it works though. But uh,
1: so I'm not I'm not too worried about this kind of air gap attack in in real life cuz it's still and it's still in, this kind of attack still involves getting malware on the computer and then you can get the data out of it. Whereas yeah. I'd be still more I'd be way more worried about the your keyboard EMF being getting hacked or, or sniffed. I, I won't say hacked, getting sniffed. Or the fact that if you use a wireless keyboard, most of the cheap ones are unencrypted. <laughs> um, which is bad. Right. Yeah. Okay. So maybe just put, like, if you need a computer that's air-gapped for, like, you know, SCADA or whatever, put just a put it in a room that's EMF safe. Like, just put brass all over the walls. Yeah, just, just do that. Yeah, just, just it's just, cheap. Just go for it. You got it. You got this. I, oh, it's actually like, um uh speaking of brass, it's like uh, old um Navy ships where the navigation rooms are made out of brass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that Was that true?
0: I can't have remember. no idea.
1: I remember being on some ship and that, that, that's what the tour guide said. I can't remember though. <laughs> so it's got to be true. It's got to be true. The tour guide <laughs> said so. You're right. Yeah. And the last RFO of the night will be, make your own nuclear battery. Move yeah. over, Samsung. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you think exploding lithium batteries? What about batteries that just, like, you know, propel photons and, and not photons, um, alpha particles and beta particles into your leg? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my kind of battery. Um, actually, this one does inject photons right into your leg. What? Um, Because the guy, it was a hack on Hackaday. This guy took um, tritium keychains. You know what those are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tritium's a a radioactive material. When it decays, it releases beta particles. And it's a very slow process. And so what what the keychains have is, is a layer of phosphorus over them. And so the beta particles hit the phosphorus, excite the phosphorus, light photons pop out. Right. Cool stuff. So what he did is he took a couple of these... And put solar panels on them and wrap them up, and so that the photons hit the solar panels, and bam, you have power. A nuclear battery.
0: <laughs> it, 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 it is nuclear. The efficiency is probably just garbage. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah um, well, they last for 15 years. Okay. Yeah. So, this is a battery that lasts for 15 years, and it can produce 1.6 volts at 800 nanoamps. Or about one point two three microwatts.
0: <laughs> so it's very,
1: very tiny. You can run a real time clock. You can probably run some stuff in sleep mode, and then have it charge. <laughs> so you just
0: have a processor in sleep
1: for fifteen just, years. Well, you could probably charge something up, like use like a jewel thief circuit to yeah. charge up some stuff. Turn on, do something. Turn off. Uh, yeah, at
0: one point two three microwatts, you're gonna but have to then, charge for a long time. Yeah,
1: but you know. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, but that's cool. 15 years. Pretty cool stuff. This yeah. is, that was cool. I'm like, that's something I didn't even, never thought of about trying to do. Like, using um,
0: tritium with. Phosphorus to excite solar panels. <laughs> yeah, you, but uh, I guess you have the you have beta particles leaving, which there's some level of efficiency there. Then you have the phosphorus being excited. There's some level of efficiency. Then you have solar panels, which usually have terrible efficiency. Yes. So, <laughs> so, but hey, it's cool. That's 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 pretty nifty. Yeah, and I did a little bit
1: of research, and apparently you can make like a pn a uh, pn junction. Like mm-hmm. a like a solar cell that actually gets excited by the beta particles directly. Hmm. So you can skip the phosphorus state.
0: Oh, so scrape off that phosphorus and then uh, and then just go get bombarded by the beta particles yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cause the whole phosphorus thing kind of protects you from the beta particles. I don't know if it does. Uh don't it, quote us on that. I I think that's that's a bit of the point, isn't it? I don't know. Is that the beta particle gets entangled by uh Well, I don't want to use the word entangled because that has a special word. It it basically gets blocked by the phosphorus and consumed. It's the alpha particles that are the ones that just fly right through and start Uh, messing stuff up. Mess shit up going forward. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) they go in and they bounce around and kill a whole you know couple strings of DNA and then then leave. Then leave. Yeah, like (laughs) peace. I'm out of (laughs) here. Drive by
1: DNA destruction. Yeah, that's exactly it. (laughs) So that's going to be this episode of the podcast, episode 44. Yep. We were your hosts, Parker Dillon and Stephen Craig.
0: Later, guys. Take it easy.